The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bible and turn to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 23. While you're turning there, church, aren't you just thankful for uh, good music today and the fact that uh, our worship leader is uh, sick? And thank you, Frank. Thank you to the praise team for filling in and helping us uh, worship the Lord this morning. Wonderful, wonderful music. 2 Samuel chapter number 23. Let me read the text for you, verse 1 through 7, in case you follow the calendar year in the church life. This is Christ the King Sunday. It's one of my favorite Sundays in the year. Next Sunday we will begin our four Sundays of Advent leading up to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is really in some sense the way that you end the uh, church calendar year speaking about Christ being the King. And uh, He certainly is enough for us. And you can hear in some of those songs today that we behold the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we'll speak about Christ being our King today from 2 Samuel 23, verse 1 through 7. So please follow along silently as I read for us. In fact, would you please stand this morning in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Let's all stand together. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1 through 7. You'll notice that in many of your Bibles, this is set apart in poetic uh, style. So... Follow with me in this song. Now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares, the man who raised on high declares, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain. Truly is not my house so with God, for He has made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and secured for all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not uh, indeed make it grow? But the worthless, every one of them will be thrust away like thorns because they cannot be, be taken in hand. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear and they will be completely burned with fire in their Place. Let us bow before the Lord in prayer today. Our good Father, we do come to you again. We have been able to give and to pray and to sing. Uh, we've been able to come here and study the Bible and fellowship together. For all of these things, we are supremely thankful and grateful. And now, Lord, we've opened up your inerrant, infallible, inspired word that it is the very voice of the living God of heaven. And all of us this morning bow our lives and minds and hearts underneath the text of Scripture. And we ask that you would change us, that you would conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Father, illuminate our minds that we might understand the word. Open up our hearts and help us to receive it. And then bend our will that we might be made like unto Jesus Christ in the everyday living of our life and in the carrying out of the mission of Christ himself. We love you. And on this Christ the King Sunday, we honor and glorify Jesus Christ as the King of our lives. For it is in your name we do pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. We are created to reign over creation with Christ as kings and queens. You, you must receive that. That is the nature of what Scripture teaches is that we are to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he created Adam and Eve. He placed them in the garden. And the Bible says that he gave them dominion over the world and over the animal life. And we were to be uh, co-reigning with him, under him and with him, carrying out the uh, reign of God throughout the world. In, in fact, the Christian life, as one author puts it, is this. It is training for reigning, that we are getting ready on this side of eternity to reign with the Lord Jesus when he comes back. And our major problem in our lives is that we want to rule above Christ. Christ wants us to rule under him. Christ wants us to carry out his work in the world. But the great problem is that since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, we want to exert our will and our reign and our kingdoms above the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be the supreme ruler of our lives. And that, my brothers and sisters, is where we get into hot water. That's where we get into trouble. I was reading this past week a, a mass email that went out from a local gym, and it sums up our view of our own life by saying this, uh, next year is the year of you. Simply by taking all of the responsibility and putting it on your shoulders, you become empowered. Now, brothers and sisters, I would say to us today that that is exactly the opposite of what God wants to do in our lives. This is not the year of you, it is the year of Christ. And if you take all of the, uh, all of the responsibility and put it upon your shoulders and you try to gun-ho and will it out and live for yourself and do your own thing, you will fail and fall short of the glory of God. This Sunday needs to be a reminder to us that Christ Jesus is the King. Amen? Amen? And so if you're taking away the major idea from these seven verses today, I simply would say that the big idea, the one thought you need to walk away from today is that Christ Jesus is the King this world needs and He's the King that your heart needs. Let me say that one more time for you. This text is teaching us on this Sunday of the year that Christ Jesus is the king that the world around us needs and he is the king that your heart needs. When we turn on the radio or we turn on the television or we listening to those that are around us or we get on our we scroll through our social media or our Twitter accounts, we see that the world is in shambles and in problems and there's frustrations and nations fighting against nations and wars going on and, and, and all kinds of problems in the world. And I want you to understand that what this world around us needs is Jesus Christ to be the king of the world. 
But lest we hold the world at an arm's distance and we think that that is on the other side of your cell phone screen, I want you to understand that all of the issues that are going on in your own heart with your anger and your rage and your malice and your lust and the sinfulness of our own hearts, the relationships that you're struggling in, the problems of your life, the problems going on at work and with your children, with your friendships, with your spouse, every problem you have in your life stems from the fact that Christ is not the king of your heart. Christ is the king of the world and Christ should be the king of our life. And that's what this text deals with today. Let me set it in context and then I'll just make a few points for us. First of all, you'll notice that this text is written as uh, David's last song, some of the last words. It's, a, it's an oracle is what it is. It's prophecy about the future. But like Moses before him in Deuteronomy and Jacob before him in Genesis 49, David spends his last words in a prophetic oral, that oracle. That is simply that he speaks his last words in this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is this a last prophecy of David in his speaking, but you'll find that this book ends the entire book of Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Do you remember in 1 Samuel chapter number 2, Hannah, who was not able to have a child, God blessed her and she was able to have a child. And in uh, chapter 2 of 1 Samuel chapter number 1, or 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 through 14, Hannah begins to sing a song, a prophetic song of praise to God about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And after all of the marching through the book of Samuel and all of the ups and downs of kings, good ones and bad ones, and even throughout the reign of King David, you get to the other end of Samuel and in 2 Samuel 23, David bookends this book by saying, Christ is the King. What does this passage teach us about Christ as King, and how does that truth change us? Here's the first point today if you're taking notes. Christ is better than every other king in his character. Christ is better than every other king in his character. Isn't it interesting that King David, who is looked upon by the nation of Israel as the greatest king of all time, in his dying words, he wants to speak about somebody else, the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus, who would rule after him and say, that's the one that I am pointing you to. But notice back in verse number one, you'll see that there are four distinguishing marks of David's life that you can also find in King Jesus' life concerning his character. Look back at what it says. Now these are the last words of David. Notice first of all, David, the son of Jesse, declares... You see, David was intrinsically humble in his life when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel after Saul, the People's Choice Award winner, he failed in his own doings. Samuel went to the house of Jesse and he had seven sons and six of them were not the chosen one. And finally Samuel says, do you have anybody else? And it's as if Jesse yawns and says, well, I've got a young runt that's out there in the middle of the, uh, uh, of the sheep just herding the sheep. And Samuel says, go and get him. 
Uh, David was a young man. He was a ruddy man. And Jesse is nowhere to be found in all of the uh, greatness of the Old Testament. Nothing major is said about him nor his family except for that David comes from his line. I'm reminded of Isaiah 53. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed and to whom has heard his report? For he shall grow up before them as a tender root and as a branch out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we should see him, there's no beauty that we should behold him. Just as David came from uh, Jesse and an obscure background, not, uh, not head and shoulders as Saul was above all of the rest of the kings of Israel, so Jesus comes born to us in Bethlehem, a town in the middle of nowhere. God puts his imprint of the Son, Jesus Christ, into a little no-name town in the middle of nowhere, and he redeems the world through his Son, Jesus Christ, in his humility. The Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus humbled himself even to the death of the cross. Jesus was eternally humble before his Father. His character was that of humility. And where David may have begun in humility, so he got to the point in his own reign where he didn't want to go out to war and he ended up sinning in his own life and counting all of his people. But where David failed in his humility and took on pride, the Lord Jesus Christ continued his humility and did always those things that pleased his father. And brothers and sisters, I would say to you, Christ is greater than every other king because of his humility. Amen? Not only his humility, but notice here, secondly, that he is exalted. It says, David, the son of Jesse, declares, and then notice the second distinction. The man who was raised on high declares. You'll notice the repeating phrase there of declares. David was taken from a lowly position and exalted on high and became the ruler of all of the nation of Israel. And so Jesus Christ himself would be exalted in that same passage in Philippians that I just quoted that said he would be humbled to the point of death. The Bible says that God has highly exalted him to sit beside him on the throne on high because Jesus has paid for our sins. Though David was raised to reign and exalted on high on a human level so Jesus Christ is exalted as the king of the world and he is worthy of glory and honor and praise and majesty and all of us today who are believers in Christ should exalt Jesus Christ for being the king of the world. Amen? He's exalted. Not only that, but you'll notice from verse number one that David was anointed it says here, David, the son of Jesse, declares. And then the second distinction is the man who was raised on high declares. Notice the third distinction, the anointed of the God of Jacob. You see, David came from Jesse, and Jesse is a part of the line of Judah. And if you follow this all the way back into the book of Genesis, you will find that there is to be a line in which the Messiah would come. And David was anointed to be king by God himself through his prophet Samuel. And so the Bible says in the New Testament of Jesus that he is the Lamb of God, foreknown before the earth would ever begin. Before we ever fell into sin, God knew that he he would send his son into the world to be the anointed Christ who would die and be raised again for our sins. 
God did not send an angel. God did not send a cherubim nor a cherubim. God sent his son into the world to die for us so that we might have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. God did not write salvation in the sky. God did not send it by another human being. God sent it by his own dear son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is the anointed king in the line of David. All of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ as king. And in his beauty. Notice the last distinction in verse number one. The anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. David writes many of the psalms that we read, the ones that we love. He played the harp and he played many musical instruments. In fact, he would soothe the, he would soothe the anxious heart and mind of King Saul. And Saul would throw javelins at him and try to take his life. But it was there in the music of that shepherd's heart that he rejoiced in the goodness of God. He is the author of Psalm 22 and 23 and 24 that speak of the death and the resurrection and the glorification of Christ Jesus. It was David who the book of Acts says that he was writing not of himself, but as a prophet, he was writing of the Messiah to come. And so when we think of him as that sweet psalmist of Israel, we are reminded that he was writing songs about the son of the living God. And Jesus himself is the sweet music of salvation that can come into the darkest heart, in the darkest areas of your life, into all of your pain and all of your suffering and all of your sin. And he can sing the songs of Zion that bring rejoicing and salvation to those who believe. If you're in this room today and you are a believer and your heart is hurting and you're suffering, turn to Jesus and listen to Him sing in your heart. He is the only one who can take away our pain and suffering. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one who understands he is the sweet psalmist of Israel. He is the sweet singer of your soul. Listen to him today. And by way of premature application, you see how we have the song sheets today? We certainly want to do that every week, you know? Copy your money. I love to have it on the screen, but you know what I decided while I was singing? Aren't these great songs today, amen? All right, for the two or three of you that said amen, you know what I decided to do? Why don't you just fold that up and put it in your Bible? And when you go throughout your week, why don't you just pull those out and, and sing those when you can, when you're in the car or when you're in the grocery store. I know you'll scare somebody beside you. All right? It's not bad. Why don't you tell somebody at work, show them the words. Say, hey, aren't these good words? Look at what we sang yesterday in church. Sing to your children. Sing to your spouse. Sing to your friends. I would say whistle, but if you have a whistling voice like me, don't whistle. It's not good. Learn to sing to yourself these good songs about Jesus. I was teaching this last week in the conference, and I was telling some of the leaders, the Bible says in the Old Testament 
that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And there are times in your life where you will have to encourage yourself in the Lord. And my charge to you is take some of this music and sing in your heart the songs of Jesus and how good and wonderful He is. Christ is better than every other king in His character. We should be following the character of Jesus. We should be humble, walking with Him, loving Him. I read this this past week. I thought it was worth saying. Samuel smiles and reminds us that to be worth anything... Character must be capable of standing firm upon its feet in the world of daily work, temptation, and trial, and able to bear the wear and tear of actual life. And then listen to this. Cloistered virtues do not count for much. In case you're wondering about that weird word, it's just simply saying that uh, monks lived in cloisters, they, groups of them, and they would uh, kind of uh, 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 keep themselves away from the world and cities. And we don't want to knock on that too hard. There's a lot of good hospitals that were started out of monasteries. And uh, part of the reason why we have translations that are in our lap is because translation was, work was done in monasteries. But I want you to understand something that biblical, godly, Christ like character is not to be away from the world but it is to learn how to live like Jesus in the world. And God is not so much concerned with how you act and what you say and what you hold in your hand in this room on Sunday as He is with what you do the rest of the week. And I want to say to every brother and sister in this room today, if you leave here today having sung songs about Jesus and worshiped and prayed and praised and giving Him glory, but you go out into this world and you live a life that is not giving grace and righteousness to Christ and not being separated unto Him, then you're a hypocrite. If you don't live a Christ-like life outside of this room, you're a hypocrite. And you need to get right with Jesus today. I'm going to give this illustration. I'm going to try and make it as vague as possible so nobody knows who I'm talking about. We were in the, we were in the immigration line on the way back. And... Another, uh, another minister from another church somehow got talking to some of our teammates and they were asking, they were asking uh, you know, what do you think about this political person? Of course, everybody on our team's like, uh, we got to get through immigration. We're good to go. You know, trying not to answer. Anyway, so, somehow they were talking about somebody. And, uh, and somebody said, uh, the, the guy said, oh, that person's a Christian. That person is a Christian. They live like the devil. Right. We were talking as a team at the gate, and I'm just going to tell you something. If that person really was a Christian, I, I'd say to somebody, don't embarrass the name of Jesus by saying so. Don't go out into the world and tell people that you're a believer in Jesus Christ and not live like it. We should have the character of Christ in our lives of being humble and following Him and being obedient. And can I just say something to you today? And I, It's okay. I'm not feeling the best today, a little sick, and I'm doing the best I can, but I just tell you before the Lord, don't, don't play games with the Lord. 
And don't tell people that you're a Christian if you don't live like it. Christianity is not a sentimental decision you made when you were nine. Christianity is giving your heart to Jesus Christ and living for Him every day of your life. Is that fair enough? Because what happens is when we don't live Christ-like character lives out in the world, then we take away from Jesus. And the world gets a skewed picture of what Christ looks like. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm not. You're not. But what I am saying is that for believers, there's a desire on the inside to give everything that they have to love Jesus and walk with Him and pray and read and go to church and share the gospel with unbelievers and live holy lives and watch their tongue and not gossip and not speak ill of people and be kind and be gracious and live Christ-like lives. And if you're not doing that, here's the sweet thing about it today. Christ is King Sunday. There's no other time that's appropriate in your life right where you are to bow your head, close your eyes in a few minutes and say, Jesus, I'm not living for you and I'm sorry. I want you to be the king of my life and I want my character to look like you. Don't pay, tell people that you're something if you're not. Because all it does is run down Jesus Christ. The best thing you can do is say, you know what? I'm going to live for Jesus. All right. Now that that point went over like a lead balloon, let me go to second point. <laughs> Christ is better than every other king in his reign. From verses 2 to 4. You'll notice in verse number 2, um, you'll see again some distinctions that he makes about the Word of God. He says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And then he says that his word was on his tongue. And then notice these last two. He says, the God of Israel said, right, spoke, and the rock of Israel spoke to me. Notice there the four times that he's talking about the actual speaking, and then he makes some designations. He talks about the Spirit and the Word of God, God himself, and then the metaphor of the rock of Israel, right? And then notice a little bit further in that he says, look, he who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God. Well, certainly that's not speaking about David uh, in all of the areas of, of his life, but he points us to one who will rule justly and righteously over all of these areas. And verse number four is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds when the tender grass springs up out of the earth through the sunshine after the rain. Let me just say a few words about Christ being better in his reign. First of all, Christ in his reign, he reigns, his authority is from the word of God. Amen. His authority is from the word of God. And that's one of the reasons why we can follow Him and trust Him and give our lives to Him and come up under Him as the reigning King of all the world because the Word of God that, is, that breaks the rocks in pieces, the Word of God that is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the Word of God that never returns void but always accomplishes the work that He sends it to, the Word of God wherein you believe that you have eternal life, the Word of God God that, uh, that uh, brings, uh, brings to, that is inspired and inerrant, that the word of God here that transforms us into the image of Jesus, this is the very word that he rules by. 
Notice that His rule is righteous and His rule is prosperous. Uh, let me just say a word here about that. You know, in verse number, um, verse number four, it's just a sweet imagery here of, um, of growth. It says, is, the light, uh, is as the light of the morning. Of course, you need the light and the sunrise. And a morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth through the sunshine after the rain, there's light, there's rain, there's the earth, there's growth imagery that's going on here. And the reign of Jesus Christ is prosperous, not only in the world, but in our own heart. And as we give ourselves over to Him, He tills up the old ground of our heart and plants in us the seed of the gospel. It takes root and it grows into a beautiful and a flourishing and a wonderful tree. I'm reminded of a text that we'll probably get to in a few weeks at the end of Luke chapter number 1. And it says, when the day star from on high rises into our heart, taking men out of darkness and into light. You can do some uh, research. Uh, it's Nikolai Ceausescu. Say, how do you spell that? I'll have to tell you later. <laughs> He was the uh, communist leader in uh, Romania for years. And I remember uh, some years ago, I went to Bucharest and uh, got, to, got to visit the palace. And uh, it's the oddest thing under his rule. When you get to the palace, it is absolutely astounding. It is beautiful, beautiful palace. But he didn't want, uh, he, he wanted to possess all the control and he wanted to manipulate all the people. And so what he did in the city of Bucharest, if you look, if you were to look topographically, but if you look down on it, you'd see this beautiful palace and then right around the palace are all these really large, dull, gray apartment buildings. And he had all the people living in the city to move as close to the palace as he could in these high-rise apartments. And he was the one that decided when the water was turned on and when it was turned off, when the electricity was turned on and when it was turned off. He wanted to have absolute control over them and he wouldn't allow them to paint anything in the house nor the apartment buildings. He wanted everything around it to be gray and uniform. He didn't want them to have any control over anything. He was the dictator that made all things happen. Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus Christ is not a ruler like that? Jesus Christ reaches into our lives and takes out an old heart and puts in a new heart. And He reigns with His authority in righteousness, in goodness, and in mercy. And He allows us as individual Christians and as a church to grow and blossom in all of His creative power and goodness in our lives. He loves us. He doesn't want to manipulate us. He wants to lovingly help us through our lives. That's the kind of God that we serve. Christ is better in His reign. Let me give you one last point. We'll finish today. Christ is better than every other king in His promises. Christ is better than every other king in His promises. Verse 5 through verse number 7. Truly is not my house so with God, for He has made an everlasting covenant with me. He made a covenant with King David, an everlasting one, that the ruler, the Messiah, would come from His line. But look with me, if you would, at verse number 6 and 7. 
But the worthless, every one of them will be thrust away like the thorns because they cannot be taken into hand. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear and they will be completely burned with fire in their place. Let me speak to you just for a moment about the promises of Christ as King. First of all, I want you to know that when Christ makes a promise, He is faithful and trustworthy and He will fulfill His promises. I want you to know also that Christ, when He makes a promise, is gracious. King David fell and sinned and came short and messed up. And here's the truth for you today. You've messed up. I've messed up. We've all messed up. But Christ is faithful in His promises and He's gracious in His promises. And those who come to Him and ask for mercy shall receive mercy. Those believers in this room that are struggling, go to Christ. He's gracious and kind. The Bible says, in the New Testament, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. God's grace is rich and full and kind. And if you're in this room today, I want you to understand Jesus loves you with an everlasting covenant love. It's why He went to the cross. It's why He rose again. It's why He is eternally seated on high as our uh, high priest. And He's making intercession for us in all of our problems. Jesus loves us. Amen? He's faithful. He's gracious. He's just. If you do not receive Him, if you do not trust Him, if you do not let Him be the King of your life and you die in an unsaved condition, you will leave Him no choice but to eternally punish you in the judgment of hell. God, the Bible says in the New Testament, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever person sows, that will they also reap. And so, if you sow in your life continual sin and rejection of Jesus, then you will experience the consequences of that for all eternity. But if you turn by faith to Jesus Christ and accept His mercy and grace, He will save you eternally both now and in the future. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Church, hear me. If you're in this room and maybe you've been walking far from Him or maybe you've just gotten a little cold in your walk or you're not reading the Bible, you're not following, you heard me earlier and you're like, man, did you have to call me a hypocrite the Sunday after Thanksgiving? I don't want that. I don't want it either. But if you're in here today and you say, man, you know what? The truth of the matter is there's some hypocritical areas in my life where I, I am a believer in Jesus, but I'm not following Him. I'm not working. I've got these dark corners. I've got these sins and I don't want anybody to know about it. Not only sins of commission, but sins of omission. I, I'm not living for Him in, in the way uh, that I do about every day. And I, I want that to be better. I want you to understand that Jesus loves you. Come to Him right now. Come to Him, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and He will give you rest. He loves you. Come to Him. The inevitable sting of unfulfilled campaign promises You see them all the time. There's no leader in the world that will not let you down. But Jesus fulfills all of His promises.
This uh, past week, I was reading uh, a story in a country around the world of a, uh, a prime minister who had, uh, had received into the, into the parliamentary government uh, many hundreds of millions of dollars in order to better the infrastructure of their country and to go toward roads, and to go toward electric, and to go toward uh, building safety. And this guy over time had made all these kind of promises. He was going to be a man of character. He was going to do right. And now he is on trial. And they said in the trial, they said, you are guilty. We have probably cause to believe that you have stolen $200 million from this country. And the man laughed in court and said it's more like $350 million. And you know, that guy will just receive a slap on the wrist in a couple of years in a low security place where he can watch television. And he'll go off and live and ride off into the sunset with the money that he has extorted and stolen from people. Meanwhile, people are starving and hungry and roads are destroyed and problems and heartache are on the rest of the people. And that story can be told many times around the world, can it not? But I want you to know on this Christ is King Sunday, that Jesus Christ is the King of the world and He is the King of our hearts. And one day Christ will come again and He will put down all of the evil and He will raise up all who are righteous in Him and He will establish His kingdom of good and righteousness and just forever. And as we move into the season to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to remember that that one who is in the manger is the one who makes that promise, and he will fulfill it, and he will reign from on high. Amen? So you might be saying, who wouldn't want this kind of king, right? Great in character, great in reign. Uh, great in all of these areas and his promises. Who would not want to worship that one? Well, as we prepare to worship Christ in the next month for his birth, we're reminded that in his death, the people said, we will not have this man rule over us. I wonder how many of us like Jesus being king at a distance but we don't want him to be ruler over our hearts today. I wonder how many American Christians will struggle when Christ brings his physical reign into the world. We want it to be the year of us, but it should be the year of Christ. You understand what I'm saying? I want you to answer that question in your own life today as I bring this to a close. You see, it's at a distance for you to think about uh, the kind of government that is run by a king because you're not used to that in this country. And even those who are used to kings and queens around the world, they're used to fallen human kings and queens who sin and extort. But I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself this question today. Do you really want to live under a government that is with King Jesus at the helm? 
Because I think as I studied this and prayed about it and kind of rolled it over in my heart this week, I think for many of us in this room, we look at it in a distance in the Bible and we sing the songs and we say, Jesus is king until it has to do with your anger issue. Until it has to do with the way that you speak to other people. Until it has to do with the sinfulness of your own heart that you and the Spirit of God are dealing with as I'm speaking to you right now. And God comes to you and says, I am king over that area of your life as well, dear sir. I'm king over that area of your life, madam. And King Jesus comes to your life and he says, I am good in all of my promises. I am faithful. I am holy. I am humble. I am merciful. But I am the ruler. Do you want him to rule over you? That's the question. Or will you leave here today and say, that was a good sermon. And I'm going to go right on about my business. I have enough religion and enough tradition and I'll be okay. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Heads are bound and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. This might be the first time in seven days that you've had an opportunity to just pray to the Lord. I invite you to pray right where you are right now. If you're in this room today, for the first time in your life, something has sparked on the inside. And you say, man, I, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want Jesus to be King of my life right now. I can think of no other better day in the year than right now on Christ as King Sunday for you to make Him the King of your life and your heart. So what does, that, what does that entail, Pastor? In your own words, in your own heart right now where you are, why don't you just talk to Him and say, I'm tired of my sin, tired of doing things my own way. I believe that you died and rose again. And with the very most that I have in my heart, I give my life to you right now. Please save me. I'll follow you all the days of my life with a sincere and a humble heart, if you cry out to God for salvation in that way in His Son, He's good and merciful. For the rest of us in this room this morning, believers, I say to you, is there an area of your life where Jesus is not the King? Why don't you locate that right now? You don't even have to. You know the Spirit's brought it to your mind right where it is. Why don't you just surrender that? Just think of that imagery of surrendering to an, another king. Lay down your weapons. Lay down your shields. Lay down your defenses. Open up the gates to your city. And say, King Jesus, I want you to walk in and I want you to rule. And here's the, here's the marvelous thing, dear friend. He is not a tyrant. When He comes into your city, you'll go from being gray and dull to new life and joy. He'll bring to life things that have never been there before. He'll save you. He'll change you. And He'll make you like Him. Stand with me if you would. Let's sing a song of response today. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, 
please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.